Okay, good. Um, we're starting a new series today. It's called A New Way to Live. And uh, we're going to be preaching through Matthew's Sermon on the Mount uh, until Christmas. So that's where we're going. Yes. It's called A New Way to Live because in the sermon, Jesus really does give us a new way to live. And a true Christian is a person who embraces this teaching that Jesus gives here. It's a, it's a revolutionary teaching. And, and quite often in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, this is what the Old Testament taught, this is what everybody's thinking, but I'm saying to you today from henceforth, this is how it needs to be. So Jesus is bringing something new in, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because it was given uh, on a mount in a hilly area near the Sea of Galilee. So that's kind of up north in uh, Israel. This section of the sermon, the introduction, verses 1 to 12, we call these the Beatitudes. And uh, let's read from verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, and I'm not sure if I should say, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, people are a bit divided on that one. Um, so maybe I'll just mix it up. <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be full. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 1 here provides the background for us. It's the Sermon on the Mount. This is very different, by the way, to Luke's sermon, which is often called uh, the Sermon on the Plain. And the sermon we find in Luke 6, it also has four Beatitudes, a couple of curses thrown in uh, called woes. Um, but fundamentally, these are two different sermons, so don't, don't get the two muddled up. There's uh, uh, the Sermon on the Plain kicks off there in, in Luke chapter 6. It took place on a level place. So as I mentioned earlier, the Sermon on the Mount begins with these eight Beatitudes. Uh, we've already read it, blessed are them, blessed, 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 etc. And we need to get to grips with the Greek word here for blessed. It's the word makarios, and it really has a dual meaning. It means both happy is the person that lives like this, and also blessed of God. 
is the person who lives like this. So when you see that term, blessed are the poor, it, it's the Greek word makarios, happy are those, blessed are those who live like this. And what strikes me as I read the Sermon on the Mount is that it is the completely the opposite thing to what our culture stands for today. Do you notice that? Each of these postures, each of these attitudes that Jesus teaches us to have, these things that he says makes a person happy, defines a person as being blessed, each of these things are diametrically opposed to what the world says. The world tells us, happy are those who are spiritually rich. And in the New Age movement and in spiritualism, these things are very popular and people are like, gee, I've got it together. I've got such a deep spiritual life. It's really happening for me. That's what the world says. The world says, blessed are the comforted. Blessed and successful are the strong, the assertive, the powerful. Blessed are they who have the killer instinct in business and on the sports field, who show no mercy. Blessed and successful, this is a particularly South African thing, are those that can fudge the numbers and bend the rules. So a lot of these things that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's the exact opposite of how the world thinks and operates. There's also a, a reward attached for those of us that live like this. There are a number of blessings, there they are. And these would have been questions in people's minds. People would have been wondering, gee, how can I really have a relationship with God? How can I be sure that one day I'm going to be saved and, and live forever in God's presence? How can I know fullness in this life? And Jesus tells us that the consequences of living this way that Jesus outlines in the Sermon on the Mount is we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. We will be comforted. We will be filled. We will see God. We will be shown mercy. We'll bear the name sons of God, children of God. So let's dive right in. How, who are those who are happy and blessed? Here's the first one. Happy, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What a great place to start. What does it mean to be spiritually poor? Friends, it means to recognize that you are a spiritually needy person, that spiritually speaking, you are a wretch that there's nothing in you and me that impresses God. That there's, there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We are, we are poor in spirit when we recognize that reality. And some of you may be thinking, well, you know, we're, we're Christians. We're full of the Spirit. Christians in the new covenant are, are rich in spirit. Well, I'm reminded of Jesus' words to the church at Laodicea. It's interesting that Jesus begins his teaching on earth with the Sermon on the Mount. The first thing he says is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who recognize they're, they're nowhere with God. 
And then here in Jesus' letter, after he's ascended to heaven, and he dictates a letter to the messenger of the church of Laodicea, and he points out to them that their material prosperity has resulted in them suffering spiritually. This is the letter that is written to the church in Laodicea. From verse 15, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. These were prosperous Christians. And the result was Jesus saying, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's Jesus addressing a local church, just reminding them that they are, in fact, poor in spirit. Many of Jesus' words were spoken against the Pharisees who really thought they were cracking it with God. They obeyed all the laws to the letter, and as a result, they were full of, proud, full of pride and really thought they had it together. And Jesus had his harshest words for the Pharisees. They were not poor in spirit. We're all poor in spirit. Blessed are those that, that know it. The second beatitude is, is another interesting one. Again, you, you think, what's with that? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, that's odd. I thought God wants us all to be happy. He does want us to be happy, but the way to be happy is first to mourn. That's why he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I'm reminded that in the letter of James, we hear these words that are very similar to Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. Again, this is written to Christians that had kind of lost sight of a few things. And James writes to them and says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. These were Christians that had a measure of excitement and laughter. Everything was ha, 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 we're having a great time. And, and James writes, no, grieve and mourn and wail. There's a time in the Christian life for, for mourning. Why are people who mourn blessed? I think it's because the way we enter God's kingdom is, is through mourning. What do we mourn about as Christians? I believe the state of the world. The world is in a terrible state, and I hope that upsets you as a person. If it doesn't, you're living in cloud cuckoo land. There, there truly should be things that, that deeply upset you, and if you're not upset by stuff that's going on in this world, you're missing the plot. We, we should mourn all the pain and suffering that's going on in the world and that people experience. We should mourn our own role in the fallenness of this world. We should, we should mourn Christ's death on the cross. Later tonight, we're going to share communion together. That's not a happy time. It's a happy and a sad time. 
And as long as it's happy and sad, there's a place to be happy. But you can't just be happy. We need to mourn the, the death of Jesus, that he had to be crucified because of what you and I have done. There's a place in the Christian life to mourn, to grieve, to mourn, to wail. And I haven't done too much of the wailing personally, but I, I, I do know what it's like to grieve my own failures before God and my own wretchedness as, as a sinner. So these first two Beatitudes get to the essence of your, your heart, your attitude as a Christian. That we are poor in spirit. It's only because of the grace of God that, that we can even have a relationship with God. It's not because we're so great. And there's a time to mourn. The third beatitude is, is about meekness. Meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, many of you sitting here today are clueless as what it means to be meek, right? Because meekness is not a big deal in our society. People don't go around, you know, giving TED talks on how awesome it is to be meek. Meekness means a combination of humility and gentleness. It's about power that's under control. Meek people are not weak people, but, but they, don't, they don't necessarily use the power that they have. They choose to be gentle, to, to be humble. This is the, the spirit of turning the other cheek. The world does not value people who are meek, who are humble and who are gentle. In fact, in ancient Greek culture, humility was, was regarded as a terrible thing. People who were humble, who didn't push themselves forward and use their power to advance themselves were considered weak and morally inferior believe it or not. It was Jesus who, who framed humility and meekness as a great thing and instead humility. That's what actually makes someone great in God's kingdom, in God's eyes. Funnily enough, when Jesus had to describe who he was and what he was like, and he had to pick two adjectives out of the thousand adjectives that are out there, he chose to describe himself as being gentle and humble. Here in, in Matthew 11, I am gentle and humble. That's how Jesus defined his essence, who he was. He was meek. This idea of the meek inheriting the land actually comes from Psalm 37. The psalm is all about meekness, and it describes the characteristics of a person who is meek. They are still before the Lord. They, they wait patiently. They don't fret when men succeed. They refrain from anger. They turn from wrath. 
There's a trusting in the Lord. There's a meekness. There's a not, I'm going to sort this out. I've been offended. There's There's a withdrawing and a humility and a gentleness. There's a trusting that God is going to sort out the wicked, verse 10. And then there's this cracker, verse 11. The meek will inherit the land. The the meek are going to be the ultimate winners. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The fourth beatitude. Gee, I can't believe we're only on the fourth one. It gets gets quicker and quicker as we go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Again, this is a foreign concept to our culture. Our culture can't even decide what is right and wrong, let alone hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're not even sure there there is a code of morality apart from that which might be a social construct. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's also at the heart of Christian living. Our culture mocks people that hunger after righteousness. Our culture jokes about people that are trying to be holy. You'd be referred to as having an Elizabethan attitude. You're a holy Joe. You're prudish. A mother Grundy. You're legalistic, pietistic, puritanical. Our culture doesn't value holiness. Righteousness. What is righteousness? It means to live justly in your dealings with people. To have integrity as a person. To live a morally upright life. To live with a, with a good conscience and to obey the law. Jesus says that is the person who is going to be happy, who is going to be blessed. The one who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says we seek all these things. But rather, verse 33, we must seek first God's kingdom. His, his will to be done. And we must seek His righteousness to be godly in the way we live. And then all the other things that people run after will be, will be given to us. As a Christian, when it comes to morality, our desire should not be to see how close we can get to crossing the line before sinning. Ever had those discussions? You know, just how worldly can we be before it's definitely a sin? You know, it's the whole how far can we go discussion. If we're having those discussions, we've missed the boat. Rather, we need to be saying, how can I hunger and thirst for righteousness? The fifth beatitude is about mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. What does it mean to be merciful? It means to be compassionate to people, to be empathetic, to be gracious. We're living in a time where it is the in thing to be offended and triggered. 
and to have a rage. It, it's the very opposite of being merciful, of being empathetic, understanding. Christians should be merciful people. Why did the good Samaritan stop? It's because he took pity on the person that he saw. He could have said, well, it's not my responsibility and, I, and, and I've got my life to live and I wasn't responsible that he chose to travel down that road at that time by himself. He was stupid. That's his fault. He needs to sort it out. That's the, the, the legalistic kind of not my problem approach. We need to be those who, who, who have pity on people. For those of us that uh, you know, study the life of Jesus, his motive for doing ministry was that he was, had compassion for people. Here in Mark 6, Jesus desperately needs to take a break. And in fact, he tries to. They disappear. Come, let's get away. Go to a quiet place. Get some rest. But then the crowd shows up, and Jesus has compassion on them, so he gets back to work. The problem with the Pharisees is seen in verse 4. What the Pharisees taught was correct. And Jesus could say, you must do what the Pharisees say, just don't do what they do. Because they are willing, verse 4, to tie up heavy loads and put them on people's shoulders but they're not willing to actually help. We need to be those who uphold God's law and who are willing to help others, who are, who are compassionate and merciful. The sixth beatitude or principle to live by is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's that strong theme in the Old Testament, without holiness, no one's going to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When Jesus first shared the Sermon on the Mount, his hearers would have been very familiar with Psalm 24. This was a, a great psalm that people sang on the way to the temple, and they'd remind themselves, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord and, and meet with God in the temple? Who can do that? We should be saying, as we come in the, through the courtyard here, we should be saying to each other, who can go into the church today and, and worship God and meet with Him? And the answer we should tell each other is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. What does the Bible tell us about the human heart? Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. There's only one way to fix the human heart, and that's to get a new one. And that's what it means to be born again, where God takes out that heart of stone that, that's, that's unfeeling and dead, and he replaces it with a, with a heart of flesh. Do you have a, a clean heart? Have you been born again? cleansed, renewed, changed by the Spirit of God, washed. You have clean hands and a pure heart. That doesn't mean that you haven't sinned, but it means that when and how you've sinned, you've confessed that to the Lord. And that's the whole weep, mourn, wail, grieve. Confess your sins to God and you'll experience His cleansing in your life. 
The seventh beatitude is about being a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Who are the sons and daughters of God? One of the things that characterizes a, a child of God is that they will be a, a peacemaker. They love peace. They want peace. And that's how we show who, whose we are, who we belong to. There's so much in this world that offends people, that divides people. So much conflict and strife and broken relationships and Marriages where there's estrangement and wider families where people don't talk to each other. Friends, as a Christian, at the heart of our identity should be this idea that we're peacemakers. We want to bring people together. And I understand that that's not always possible, and the Bible says that as well. Here in Romans 12, verse 18, it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And there will be people in this world that try what you will. You can never be at peace with them. They're just too far gone. But you can keep trying as far as possible as it depends on you. You just know that from your side, you're trying to be a peaceful and reconciled person. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount also prioritizes reconciliation with other people above worship. He says if the offering bag is coming by, and as part of your worship, you're going to put something into that bag. But just as that money is going into the bag, you suddenly remember that there's somebody that you're not at peace with. There's somebody you're in a, an estranged relationship with. Jesus says just hold it right there. Don't give your gift. Stop your worship. Go and make right with that person and then come back and worship, so that the worship we're offering to God is coming from a, a clean heart and, and from a good place. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I hope you're characterized as, as a peacemaker, not as a busybody, not a person that creates conflict and strife wherever you go, but you're the kind of person that pours oil on troubled waters, that tries to bring people together. It's part of what we're about as Christians. We're peacemakers. It's part of our identity. And finally, Jesus says, the eighth beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even though we seek to be peacemakers, sooner or later, someone's going to get upset with us. Someone's really going to be opposed to us standing up for what God teaches in His Word. As I said the other day, the only way not to offend people as a Christian is to keep quiet or to water down what God teaches. And neither of those options are the right ones. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And he was a great, lovely, kind, gentle person. But people still hated him. 
This is why the world hates you. 1 John 3, don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Matthew 10, now it's getting ramped up a level. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. There's a lot of persecution in the world today. And a lot of it's by people that believe in another God. Which is why Jesus prophesied in John 16 too, that a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And when ISIS beheads Christians, they think they're offering a service to God. And when people in other nations that are opposed to Christianity persecute Christians, they think they're doing a service to God. Just this last week, I read that 8,000 churches have been shut down in Rwanda. I mean, that's a terrible thing by the government, clamping down on churches. Oh, you don't have enough, enough fire extinguishers. We're shutting you down. Oh, your pastor doesn't have a good enough degree. We're shutting you down. 8,000 churches shut down. Christians are being imprisoned and, and murdered in Nigeria and in many other Muslim-dominated countries. Persecution is a real thing, and it's even happening in the first world as well. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Let's pray together. Lord, you say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, that's such good news to those of us that recognize how pathetic we are in the light of who you are. Lord, we thank you that, that you can work with someone who is poor in spirit, who recognizes they're nowhere with you. Lord, help us to always be humble and gentle. Help us, Lord, to mourn when that is appropriate about the state of the world, about the fallenness of our own hearts, the imperfections in our own lives. Help us to, to grieve over these things. Help us, Lord, to be merciful, to be gracious, compassionate. Help us, Lord, to be peacemakers and to show who we belong to. And Lord, as we come now to communion, we want to, to both mourn your death for us and celebrate your gift to us, the gift of your life. Lord, we love you. We, we are so grateful to you, Lord. Thank you that you accept us on the basis of Christ's death and not because of our own goodness and righteousness. 
Lord, help each one of us in this place tonight to truly embrace this new way of living. Thank you that it's the way to be happy and it's the way to enjoy your favor going forward. I don't know how God's spoken to you tonight, what, what attributes that God kind of just pinpointed in your life. Maybe just think about these attributes and just have a quiet prayer between you and God. What did he, what did he say to you tonight? What did he impress upon you? Is it about being meek? Is it about thirsting after righteousness? Just have your way with us, Lord. Thank you, Jacob, Mike.